Hey, welcome to another episode of the Unreasonable Art of Living podcast. I'm your host, Gerhard Molin, and as always, enjoy the music. Welcome back, welcome back to another episode. Thank you for joining. I hope you're doing fine wherever you are right now. I am back in Vienna, actually. Yeah, wow, I'm, yeah, I arrived a few hours ago. <laughs> I just came back from Helsinki, spent 10 beautiful days in winter, icy, snowy Helsinki. Sometimes very slippery, sometimes very, very cold. But nonetheless, extremely beautiful. Always nice to spend time with my friends there. Um, did a lot of work. Um, it was a very creative time as well. And yeah, it was crazy. It was like, I think, quite a fluctuation in temperature when I arrived. It was around close to minus 17 or even like minus 19 degrees. Then two days later, it was like plus two degrees. <laughs> then it went back to minus 10. It was quite something, but it was, uh, I really enjoyed it. I love, I love being there. It's like a very sacred place, uh, a place for recovery, a place to crown yourself, to, yeah, develop, like, you know, when, when you're like, for me, it's always a place where I can reconnect with my inner self. Uh, it's beautiful. And, Yeah, I can really recommend it if you've never been to Finland or in Helsinki. It's a good place. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you for all the beautiful yeah, comments and feedbacks I received from my last episode. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You know, it's always like, you know, when you do a podcast episode, it's kind of like, you know, it's like a black box. <laughs> you don't know, you don't see anyone. <laughs> you don't see any responses. And so it uh, makes me very happy when people reach out and start a conversation or give me feedback it's it's always a pleasure and yeah actually if you want to support this podcast it always helps uh, when you give it a five-star rating on spotify or apple podcast you know it really helps to or any platform you're listening to to yeah to, to kind of like promote or like help the algorithm to spread the podcast beyond my my reach um it's always good but most importantly you know when i thank you for listening and Thank you for reaching out. Really, really appreciate it. And yeah, at this point also as well, because like always good to mention, especially after the last episode, it's, it's very important to mention like for me, this app, this podcast is almost like a, a diary, a journaling, where I share my reflections on my life, uh, the things I experience, the things I think about and I share. Then I, I invite very, I find fascinating people who chose a very nonlinear path And you know, we live in nowadays in a society where we are just bombarded constantly on social media news, which all the time have to we're confronted with this binary thinking, good or bad, right or wrong, and we have forgotten to uh, see the nuances in everything. And you know, it's very important to mention, you know, whatever I, I say here or share, it's everything take with a grain of salt. The first thing you do, don't believe anything I say, <laughs> and then if it feels right for you, and you feel like, oh yeah. That really helps me. Like I understand it. Take it with you. If it doesn't, forget it. <laughs> always important. <laughs> always, always reflect. And um, yeah, I think we have to relearn this sense of listening. Also, if it's a very 
different opinion. There's always something we can see we haven't seen before. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, this week's episode, so excited, actually. I've been waiting for it for months. <laughs> no. So this week's episode, we have Tamara Sanderson. And Tamara Sanderson is such an incredible person. Uh, we scheduled this episode in November, I think, and now we had it, uh, we recorded it last week when I was in Helsinki. And uh, we, have, we met last year, but actually we never met in person. She lives in Boston, actually. And yeah, I was traveling quite heavily last year because I was working remotely and I really took advantage of this. And I met some people in Byron Bay, Australia. They, you know, shared, shared with them what I'm working on. They're like, hey, you have to meet Tamara. Then we had a video call. And uh, yeah, was it, I remember the first uh, conversation we had it was at least one and a half hours. It was like, straight deep dive conversations. It was amazing. There was so much good energy. And um, yeah, Tamara is, wow, such a cool person. Um, few things why. First of all, the main thing is actually, that's one of the reasons why uh, a lot of her work, which she published last year with her friend, let me just find the name, her <laughs> friend Ellie Green, they worked the, the book Remote Works, Managing for Freedom, Flexibility and Focus. And you know, that's exactly why I am such a big fan of remote work because then you meet all these fascinating people if you really take advantage of remote work. And why she published um, this book is because she noticed, like, you know, for her, she discovered, like, this amazing power within remote work, not just as an, as an individual where you can, like, regain some agency and freedom, but also, like, as a company, which really is an opportunity to innovate how a company works, to innovate culture, and it's an amazing book. I will link it in the show notes. You can it's an available as audiobook, um, you know, and on Amazon and, and many other platforms where you can buy books books nowadays. And if you are, it's really a good read for if you are someone who currently does remote work and or works remotely, and you want to kind of like find really harness what remote what remote work can be. But also, if you're a manager or a team lead or a founder, and you want to try remote work but you're a bit scared of um you know doing that step because re remote work like moving your company in that direction really is an opportunity to innovate what a company can be and to innovate what a culture can be it's a it's an amazing book and she yeah there's so much knowledge and wisdom in it and tamara like she after now 15 years working in in big tech really cool companies she worked years at google then she worked at IDEO, which is for me one of my idol companies. Uh, IDEO was founded early 90s by David Kelly. He was the father of design thinking and human-centered design. And IDEO is kind of the biggest human-centered design company, which, which they do amazing, amazing, amazing work. Um, and then she worked at Automatic, which is the company behind WordPress. And they have been pioneering remote work for years, even before the whole pandemic and whatnot. And... Um, yeah, I think then she kind of like, she, she felt the urge to write this book because so many people were actually missing out on what remote work can really be and many companies don't really understand what remote work is. It's not just like letting people go home and work from there because many people then experience the only negative sides, being alone at home and on Zoom calls, which is even worse than maybe just just all the time being at the at a, at office. But yeah, well, I'm going, <laughs> I'm talking, at all you will all hear this in an episode, but then... This episode is so much more. It's about remote work. We also talk about design thinking. If you haven't heard of it before, it's a beautiful process that allows you to yeah, regain your birthright. It means to the creativity and to, to think like a designer. 
And we ended actually the whole episode uh, with Carl Young and Shadow Work. <laughs> so be prepared. It's an amazing how we kind of like ended there. But it was a beautiful episode. We There's so many topics we touched upon. And it was design thinking, remote work, um, technology, big tech, and you know the universe and everything in between. I really enjoyed it. I really re listened to the whole episode on the airport because I had to take some timestamps and I was like so hooked. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. So without further ado, enjoy. And then here, and it starts. Four, three, two, one. Let's go. Okay, hello. <laughs> hello, Tamara. It's an absolute honor to have you on the show so thank you for joining and taking your time and before we start happy new year <laughs> thank you it's, um, doesn't it seem like a sci-fi year a like sci-fi year feels yes like not um not a real date <laughs> it doesn't sound like my reality it sounds like something that would be like the cover of a book wow so maybe maybe um, it's like a shift happening who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's the Blade Runner? No, there was the second Blade Runner was 24. No, do you remember? Have you seen the second Blade Runner? Um, I have not. Have you seen the first one? Uh, I have not. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay Tamara. <laughs> After this podcast, Blade Runner, <laughs> that's on your list. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, you cool. gave me an assignment. Great, I'll write it down. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, actually, do you have uh, do you have like a New Year's ritual, like for example, yeah, New Year's uh, resolutions or something similar? Do you do something like that? Who? Um, I sometimes do. Mm -hmm. I well, I used to always have New Year's resolutions. Okay. The whole like. Yeah, like a whole plan and a whole new vision. I've gone lighter on that um, okay. over the years. Last year, I chose like a couple words. Um, this year, like a bit more of an intention mm -hmm. is, this is like maybe a little specific, but um, so I'm at Divinity School right now. Yeah. And I'm very inspired by people that went to Divinity School that wrote children's books at mm -hmm. other places. Mm -hmm. So that's where like The Hobbit came from and Lord of the Rings and um, a lot of uh, C.S. Lewis uh, books. And so I'm like very curious about how I can write more children's literature that wow. talks about like the enchantment of the world. And um, I don't know, seeing uh like making things come alive adding mm -hmm. a lot of kind of natural history into it there's this whole like fairy tale element to aspects of like storytelling from europe but in the u.s it's been very like realistic and just yeah. seeing yeah i guess some of those stories that my my brother has four children and i was just with them in texas and seeing some of the stories they're right like, they're like listening to it makes me want to provide like an additional mm -hmm. element of like imagination to it um and so that's been my intention i, I reread peter pan um oh really being uh, like wrinkle in time wow uh, there's uh a norwegian author i've been rereading um sophie's world and some okay. of his other books um and so yeah i've been going through this like whole imaginary <laughs> uh, childlike world so we'll see where that goes um but yeah that's my intention is to actually try to write more um yeah Wow. I mean, How about you? What's uh, yours? I'm curious. Wow. I, yeah. Actually, I did this really cool exercise. It's called the, um, your, like, your re year review. It was by Tim Ferriss. Do you know him? Have you heard what of him? Yeah. 
Exactly. And so what you do, it's a very cool exercise. You go, you go back, you take out your calendar and your phone, and you go from week to week and look at the pictures. You look like what you did in each week, and you make two buckets, you know, positives and negatives. And then you can like put all the events or things people you've experienced, things you've experienced, things you have done in the positive bucket. Everything that kind of like propelled you forward. And then you anything that kind of like dragged you back or kind of like didn't really yeah propel you, you put it in the negative bucket. And you do this for the whole year, and you end up with a very amazing list, kind of like uh, of actually more positives than negatives, hopefully. <laughs> and then the end, you ask yourself the question. From each bucket, the positive, positives and the negatives, what are the 20% that caused the peak positives and peak negatives? And then you have like a, oh. yeah, and then you have like this, you know, like kind of like a based on data, you know, all right, these are the things that really, when I do this, I really like, wow, I have energy and it propelled me forward. And then you become aware of it. And then you kind of like the ideas and you make more time the next year around those things. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I've been like really curious about the concept of like, how do we gain insight? Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about like, what does it look like to go through like old journals and see mm -hmm. how those change over time of like getting your observing ego online so that you can observe your either current self or like past selves. And that seems like a great, that's a, that is, that is the exercise. That's it's exactly exercise, yeah. what you're kind of doing, right? Because <laughs> like, like, you that, know, it's so funny because normally... You write in your journals and you do diary entries, but how often do you really go back and kind of like go through the data? Or like, you don't really have that. Like, kind of like that shows you the patterns because, yeah, you write, but you never, you have nothing that kind of like collects everything. Like, hey, based on this, what you wrote over the last years, have you noticed this? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was there anything that was surprised? Now I'm going to want to interview you. Is <laughs> um, there anything surprising that came out? And then you can turn it back to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say there was nothing surprising because, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been practicing like self awareness and journaling and all that for quite some while. So there was nothing really surprising, but something more like um, a reminder. And I think there's one question actually related also to remote work. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> ah, nice! It all we'll, circles back. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll come back to that. But um, mm -hmm. so is there actually the question? Is there anything that kind of like you you would leave? How to say? What do you leave behind in twenty twenty three, and what do you take with you? Ooh, these are good questions. Um, you know, I guess one thing I've been like actively thinking about is um oh, I don't know I don't know if I'm I'm <laughs> as you know I just woke up so we'll see how uh, it's okay I really want to like um I think protect myself this year mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. uh I really need to stay off of a lot of aspects of the internet <laughs> so that's I think like the yes. major thing I'm learning from wow. 2023 mm -hmm. is how much that uh, impacts me, even like from very small things. Um, I generally try to limit my internet use in general. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have a lot of apps on my phone. You notice I didn't respond back to Instagram because I'm not really on it. <laughs> so I've actively done that yeah. for past New Year's resolutions. But even like I notice if I watch a YouTube video or two, I'll still be thinking about it 
later on that day. Mm -hmm. And it, it, especially stuff that is like triggering in any way Mm -hmm. or is trying to get me like riled up or to dislike somebody on the internet. Um, And I was just kind of sitting with that because it was basically one influencer kind of bad talking other influencers that I had never heard about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got into the gossip and I was like, oh, that's so weird. (laughs) Uh, I don't even know how I got on my like YouTube reel or whatever, but you know, it's an algorithm personalized to me. So it has something to say about me. And I got into it. Like I was like looking at all these influencers. I was like, yeah, they are annoying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you are right. And then I was like, I couldn't stop thinking about it all day. And I was like, what a weird like portal I've been entered into of like now I'm thinking all about these people that I don't know, that Mm -hmm. I didn't even know existed like before today. Uh it's taken up a lot of my brain space. Yes. I have been activated. I now like actively dislike these people. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) this is like not a not a road I want to be like going down for entertainment, right? Like this is supposed to be like my free time. And I was like, oh. Um and so uh, I now have a digital limit on YouTube, so I have zero minutes right now. Like, oh, I'm already. Do? On, how like, did you do this? Yeah, like... so I used to have. Um, I was on a 15 minute. Okay. Like limit, then I turned it to 30 over the holidays because it got really into some stuff, <laughs> and then now I'm back to zero. So I'm like uh, going on a bit of a digital diet. And do you use that. an extra app for that, or how do you limit your time? Um, I'm a I'm an Android user for my days at uh, Google, and so there's a digital wellness, so you can kind of put like limits on different things. Um, and then I try not to have certain apps on my phone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's there's been something where I've been just thinking about like working in the tech industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it. Uh, yeah, there's something like, um, I don't know, you, you also worked in mm-hmm. tech, but maybe not in like big tech, but I, I've just been kind of reflecting over this holiday of like, it was so inspiring when I started in the tech industry, like there was so much going on. It was so exciting. All I wanted to do was work at Google when I joined there in 2010. Um, and it was like a very magical place. And before that I've been working at Kiva and that was, um, they were doing microfinance and it felt very like utopian in a certain yeah, way yeah. inspirational and so i don't know that over this holiday i've just been kind of reflecting about like there is no perfection i guess mm-hmm. like that utopia like doesn't mm-hmm. exist no, and it was no. to believe that it did um and i don't think tech is as bad as people are saying now but like what is the in between of those two and so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um I know I kept getting this image of like a bit of a Frankenstein as I'm like, yeah, worked specifically for YouTube. And so like, there's something weird about like, um, obviously I didn't create YouTube. I was like just working on, a, you know, a very small aspect of YouTube as it is in like a large corporation. Right. Um, but then being on it and noticing how it's impacting me, you know, like I left Google seven years ago and it's still like impacting my brain wow. and just thinking how we like put things out in the world and we don't know how it'll impact people and so wow yeah that's been like kind of my reflection so i just um in the u.s there's a lot of culture wars right now and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of culture wars going on at the university that i'm at and just with the political race and so i think um i'm hoping to it's really easy to get into those and Mm -hmm. like want to talk about it and like even or get annoyed or gossip or like all like it's very like um 
it's something where I'm like, oh, I don't want to be involved with it. But then I like, oh, what are you saying? And so uh, I think my goal for 2024 is just to be careful about how uh, that often like negatively impacts me. Mm -hmm. What does it look like to um, stay grounded and like think more about what is my sphere of control in the world? Yes. Like um, putting so much energy into something that I have like no control over actually feels like a really poor use of my time. Absolutely. Um, and so just remembering like, you know, who, what is my community here? Mm -hmm. What is the capacity? Like, where do I get joy? Where do I feel inspired? Where can I create? Where can I add positive energy? Yes. Um, Cause it can be very easy to get sucked into this wordle of, um, I don't know, just talking about whatever's on the news and it, it like, it, it sounds like really trite as I say it, but I, I just notice it really has a huge impact on me. Um, and I get sucked into these conversations and it really drains a lot of my energy. Um, I tend to like then doubt a lot of myself mm -hmm. and it doesn't turn, it's like not a, like it's not useful or impactful and it's really distracting me from a lot of things. So that would be like wow. a thought I had. Yeah, <laughs> no, but uh, you know, it, it resonates, I think probably with so many people. And I think it's crazy that actually it's really this active process to not engage with all of that. It's not like, you it's easy you actually really have to actively not engage with it and it really it's like it takes energy to protect yourself from that and that's what i think where i think there's like really good a lot of good in tech but i think it's not good that we have to kind of like put extra energy into protecting ourselves if you don't want to you know yeah yeah i think that yeah you have to put extra that's so true you you really you're like fighting against kind of this invisible right? cloud around you yeah, and you're like, like that that is the the path of um least resistance exactly to yeah go along with whatever mm -hmm. is being like thrown at you mm -hmm. or even like just going along with whatever conversations or like kind of mindlessly yeah yeah just being aware of like how do you how do you pull back how do you reduce that in yourself um yeah yeah what do you mean like we'll see I, how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> but i think it's so it's so fascinating to hear this from you because you i mean um, normally, also for every guest episode, there's like an intro I do, and I will, you know, ex introduce you properly. But you've had, you've had an amazing, I mean, uh, pathway so far. Google, IDEO, WordPress, and also like, I mean, like, I think at IDEO, I think probably this was more like a, how do you say, a human touch to all of that, or was it? Yeah, I guess compared yeah, to Google, like, or like a, I just feel like that was like the capstone yeah. of my like work proper work experience. So I'm I'm turning forty in three months, I'm going to Cuba with my best friend um, as like a celebration Amazing. for both of our 40ths. Um, but I'm definitely in the like, I'm in a cliche midlife crisis, right? So um, like I literally like left my job. I'm back in university. Like I'm with, like there's in grad school, there's people <clears throat> all the way from like 22 to 72 in my yeah. program. Um, but I definitely in most classes am on like the the older end um <laughs> and so i have done like a really hard pivot but mm. um i think of that as kind of like the first half of my life and so i did kind of 15 years of pretty intense professional work and mm -hmm. then um i i left that and then have been kind of like free form creatively wow. teaching and writing for two years and then now i'm doing a three-year program um and we'll see where that takes me. But yeah, I think of IDEO almost as kind of like paid grad school, <laughs> which is nice <laughs> wow. now that I'm paying for grad school. Uh, it's much better if they pay you, honestly. Absolutely. But, yes. um, but uh, 
at IDEO, it felt like I, I was there only for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like learned so much on like the design thinking process wow. and like it actually like completely changed. I used to have all these ideas, right? And so I am a very nonlinear thinker, very mm-hmm. creative, had spent most of my life trying to pretend that that didn't exist, right? And so like we live <laughs> in a very like linear world. Um, and I also joined very linear, like um, out of undergrad, I went to management consulting and then I did private equity and then I was in strategy at Google. And so I was with all these kind of very like, linear mm-hmm. like type a um let's structure this problem solve this case study perfect cookie cutter thing. uh yeah <laughs> yeah um and so you know i i kind of like morphed myself into that box um and like ideo gave me like the the pathway to get back to more of my natural wow. thinking and mm-hmm. like kind of um the capacity to do that and so i still use design thinking a lot i teach on it and actually for one of my classes at divinity school my project i i gave was like a design thinking handbook and wow. so it was like really and i'm going to probably do design thinking uh courses for students and so just like helping them think through so at harvard divinity school people are studying like all the things anything to like make meaning and so you have people wow. that are doing they're doing like art and spirituality and mysticism and <laughs> people are doing kind of like uh podcasts and like religion and science fiction and what can we do with literature and plant medicine and so people have like um every single person has their own very specific interest Mm -hmm. and they're like all not related to one another um and i think there's like 30 religions and then a lot of people are within kind of like a nun category which means they're spiritual but not necessarily Mm -hmm. um with a specific religion um, but you know, like people have all these ideas about like, oh, I want to make like, um, this type of spiritual group, or I want to create this kind <laughs> of, um, experience, or I want to, now I'm like saying this and you're like, oh, so it's a cult school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> great. Uh, a lot of people go like nonprofit, a lot of activism <laughs> work, things of that sort. Um, <laughs> as I was saying that, I was like, huh, yeah, they want to start something. That's, that's how a lot of, you know. <laughs> People end up drinking Kool-Aid in like a random country, right? Um, but I want to do design thinking to help them get kind of like yeah. some of their ideas off the ground. And I'm interested in doing design thinking for just um, more traditional religious organizations so that they can see, I don't know, I'm I, I'm really interested in design thinking outside of corporations because mm-hmm. once you're in a corporation and like if you're doing it for profit, you get mixed up in all these weird incentives <laughs> really quickly yeah, is what yeah. I've noticed from my time at IDEO. And so I'm really excited about like, what does it look like to use same, some of the power of creative thinking, um, but then apply it to people that are nonprofit or not-for-profit or their mission has is not aligned with making money. Um, like, what does that look like? Not that, I mean, we live in a world where um, I do think like from a practicality standpoint, mm-hmm. like money does matter. I'm not going to pretend that there's no value in that or like, it's oh, a good, whatever. It's still a good exchange uh, for value. Like to yeah. kind of like, yeah, I like it. I'm willing to give yeah, you this but... imaginary token. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it, like it works. Uh, it it works when it's used as kind of a tool and mm-hmm. when it doesn't take over your life, when it's not served as a god, I guess. Um, and so, but I'm, yeah, I'm excited about using that creative thinking for people that are imagining things that are wow. outside of like, how, how do I, I don't know, how do I create a business, which is great, but like, that's usually what design thinking is used for. So, um, 
yeah, so I've been like working on that and kind of experimenting and talking to people about it. And I have a professor that's going to hopefully like introduce me to some organizations to test it. Oh, with. amazing. Mm-hmm. By the way, actually, yeah. I don't know if you actually realize because like you, the one thing you just said, like either you kind of like allowed you to rediscover your yeah nonlinear way of thinking and being. And you know, like if you think about it, like, and I think it's so courageous what you do, like, hey, now, you know, I'm going to start three years. Uh, I'm going to do a new path. And I think it's exactly how we should, it's very normal, especially like if you say like this is, we often think about life as this very linear path. And then like we feel like anxious or fearful that we do these things, decide to like, okay, now I'm going to do a completely new way of study something new or I'm going to go this path. But actually that's life. And I think it actually fits your nonlinear way of being just perfectly. And I think for most of us people, so it's very courageous. I think it's amazing that you do this and it's an inspiration that you say, okay, nope. This was my fif- past 15 years of very, like I tried it, but now I'm going to do this new way. So amazing. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, it's been kind of an adventure and very yeah. fun, um, which is lucky. But yeah, I do think, yeah, the, I just, I always thought adult world would be more kind of straightforward and that's mm-hmm. how we present it. That's mm-hmm. usually how we tell our narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like the linearness is how we frame it um, versus how it necessarily always is. Obviously, exactly. like it's more nonlinear to like completely go off the path. But even somebody whose life may seem very kind of straightforward, there's probably been a lot of like micro Absolutely. moments in there or emotional change, right? Like maybe change you didn't see. So they could be in their same job for 20 years, but there could be a lot of other stuff that has happened that feels... Yeah. You know, like um, like big shifts, even though their life from the outside may look very static. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of change to be happen in that kind of dwelling state still. Absolutely. So, okay, actually, there was like you mentioned design thinking quite often. I think it's so interesting. So, and I think for how would you? It's not in a nutshell, but how would you? Someone who has never heard, and there's like probably many people in on this podcast because it's so powerful. When the first time I kind of like encountered design thinking, then the design sprint and all that is like mind-blowing. So how would you describe someone what design thinking is and why is it called design thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I think, um, ooh, there's a reason why it's hard to describe, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But the way I like to think about it is I mean, it's called design thinking because you're kind of putting your brain in a a state that's like a designer, right? So you're trying to come up with some type of solution, but you're trying to be like very wide and creative and innovative Mm -hmm. with it, right? And so you're not trying to jump to the very first solution, which is often what we do. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in kind of a conference room and you're trying to solve something as a group. And really what happens is like there's like a a right way, Mm -hmm. I think, that usually comes out or like whoever is the highest paid person. And then you kind of just agree, I guess, yeah, or like, exactly. or you might like kind of fight back and forth of two ideas, but you're not really going wide. You're not really like thinking completely differently about the problem. Instead, you're, you're coming to a solution as fast as possible. And it's based on kind of like um, traditional wisdom or like known mm-hmm. solutions in your company or another company. Right. And so what design thinking does, but like being creative can take so much time. Mm-hmm. Like that's one thing I've noticed is like, 
as somebody that likes a lot of, I mean, I want to write children's books, right? And so you have to get into this whole like fantasy world. It's like takes, like, that's not something you just like randomly have like 30 minutes and you're like, great, I'm going to go off to Narnia. <laughs> yeah. Like, let me write really quickly. It's something that it, 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 it takes a lot of your world. And so it can feel very overwhelming. And also people don't mm -hmm. think they're creative anymore. Right. And mm. so um, there's actually like a, there's a study that more people are afraid of drawing than they are of public speaking, I think. Wow. So um, drawing has overtaken. Yeah, so drawing pub in public, like okay, drawing yeah. with another mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. Um, that there's just so much fear of even just like drawing a stick figure. <laughs> like, wow. um, yep. I, but, mm -hmm. and, and like, it's kind of, um, you know, through school systems, I guess, unless you go to like a, like a, maybe a Montessori school for life or something that really has, um, I don't know, I think of them as like hippie schools or whatever, um, <laughs> which would be great. Like I just didn't go to one, but like, that would be cool. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of like stamped out of us because like yep. the school system, I think is kind of training us to be able to be bureaucrats in some way. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of fear to it. So like mm -hmm. this idea of like, I'm going to try and be creative. People don't have the tools or the process or the flow to be able to do that. And so I think that design thinking gives you this structure so that you feel like you're making progress. You get that feeling of it being mm -hmm. slightly linear, mm -hmm. even though it's allowing you to engage in like a very nonlinear creative process. Wow. And so I think it gives you that kind of it like it almost like in like bowling um it reminds me of having those like bumper lanes mm -hmm. almost of, like it, it gives you that kind of comfortability and so when you do design thinking you start off with like a design challenge right and so that kind of frames your decision and so yep. um at IDEO or like how I still use it, I usually ask people to set like a how how might we and so that's like a invitation to come up with like um something that you're going to work towards, mm -hmm. but how might we opens up the question. It's not just, you know, there's a bug in the system. How are we going to fix it? Or mm -hmm. we need to come up with an app and this is exactly what the app is. Um, instead, it's allowing you to think through like, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Who are the people? Like, what is the context? And from there you get to go really wide, which is my very favorite part. So you get to <laughs> diverge. That means you get to do like research and interviews and exploring and you look at other examples and metaphors from the world and you do analogous uh, brainstorming. So, you know, um, I don't like you may interview like a I, when I was at IDEO, I interviewed like a magician and I interviewed a death doula for like wow, different okay. products, but like somebody that could inspire you in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, so then you, you have all this research, then you kind of synthesize it into design principles. And then from there, you start like ideating actual concepts um, that might you know, work with your yep. solution and you kind of get those to a higher fidelity. You test those with more people. You find one that's like really kind of feeling like it's, it's resonating. And then you, you actually test it and prototype it before you launch it. Right. And so you, you, it's all about like, <laughs> and it can be very nerve wracking as, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, especially as somebody that has some like perfectionist like <laughs> tendencies. The idea of putting something that's like very half finished out in the world and like getting feedback and critique can feel like really uncomfortable. Absolutely. But it allows you like by saying like, we're just prototyping this, we're just trying it. It allows you to get that feedback early before you've created something that is like very high fidelity that you've put a lot of time and effort and money into only to find out that it doesn't resonate. Um, and so I just find it a really fun process, even if even if you like come up with nothing at the end or it's just for ideas, <laughs> I just think it's actually like a really fun way to like 
work with somebody and yeah. kind of see like, wow, that's how your brain works. Interesting. <laughs> nice. Or like you get really into ideas and it can feel like a game, honestly. Yeah. And yeah. so you get to be playful and childlike. It brings out all these qualities. Wow. And so I think regardless of like the utility of the process, it is um, the journey is worth it regardless yeah yeah and i think um have you have you read the book i'm reading it at the moment um the creative act the way of being by rick rubin no wow it's it's my that sounds like something that would be uh, yeah you would i think this is forget blade runner (laughs) (laughs) no i already wrote it down though okay okay. (laughs) i love a contract recommendation i was just complaining to a friend where i was like i have nothing that is inspiring me right now so (laughs) this Wow, this is amazing. Yeah, you will love it. So Rick Rubin, um, he's a very famous American music producer. And this book is, yeah, I think it's, how to say, each chapter is crafted so well and so precisely. It's maybe three of, three pages by each chapter with a very fo- with a focus point. And he comes with the notion that, you know, like we are here, we all kind of like creators. And this just reminded me of your conversation. What happens in design thinking process is kind of like, we're reminded about our true essence as human beings, as we are, this is actually your birthright to create. And if we just forget it along the way, and actually also like this creative confidence is like, yeah, it just gets kind of like destroyed through not all schoolings, but to, through many schooling systems. And I think what, what design thinking, what I hear out is like, it's just a beautiful dialogue where it's like, hey, wow. We are creating, you know, this is the most natural way of being. That's what we do every day. Like this conversation right now is creating. Oh, every breath is a creation. And I think um, that's why I think design thinking, it doesn't matter the outcome, if it's like a, a business outcome or money, the process itself is beautiful because it reminds people about their birthright. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And there's so much agency to mm-hmm. creation in a world where we can feel like we have no control or that there is chaos there's something really i think powerful um in like almost like revolutionary in some way or like that like taking that power back and being like i can i can change aspects of my Mm -hmm. my world uh and i think yeah but i love the the birthright and i noticed that even as somebody that i think of as especially as a child i was like very creative and i'm getting back to that I still struggle a lot with how much um, framing there is. Mm-hmm. Like uh, every single time I try to do something creative, there's a there's a, a voice or a block, yeah. uh, and it like doesn't really go away. <laughs> so, um, and I like it, it uh, from um, a psychoanalysis perspective. There's like a ego id and super ego, and for whatever reason, it's a part of my super ego is that like get on task like often I'll be doing a creative activity and like, actually I should probably clean my apartment instead. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I like, don't like cleaning. <laughs> my apartment is often messy, but I, for whatever reason, like that feels like a more like pragmatic thing to do. Mm-hmm. Or like that would be, that's being like a good person is like making sure my place is clean, yeah. which yeah. that's a lot of how I grew up. <laughs> um, <laughs> Right? Like <laughs> that doesn't come by like accident. And so um, I'm trying to, I think that's a part of the goal with like the children's writing is to like really immerse myself in wow. trying to really explore that creativity and almost thinking of it as like a spiritual act. And so Absolutely. Uh, 
I created a, a little altar. Like um, I have a little art center over here. Amazing. And um, just to like focus myself because I can get so into my head or mm -hmm. I get bored or I, yeah, like you have all these different thoughts. And by like almost like lighting candles and like thinking through this as like a process and like what will I learn and like changing my framing around it, it allows me to really enjoy it and mm -hmm. find it like a beautiful process regardless versus, you know, a more practical side of my brain will be like, how long will it take me to get something out of this? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so trying to kind of shift some of that kind of harsh talk that still exists and i think it will always be there <clears throat> and there's also <laughs> it, was, it will always be there never hey, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. speaking from experience <laughs> <laughs> and you know like this because of the book rick rubin in his book the creative act is actually also very in a beautiful very beautiful spiritual way he kind of approaches this topic as well because he talks about like you know where ideas come from and you know it's like it's a very powerful question. I thought about this as well. It's like you know, yeah. and it actually helps. The more you become self-aware, and you, the more you kind of like can really tap into your this inner world, suddenly you will realize, wow, there's like this infinite source of ideas and inspiration inside of you, and we all receive different kind of ideas and inspirations, and actually they try to talk to you, and actually all you have to do is to be open to the signals and. Whatever comes through you, express it. But we, you know, like, of course, like nowadays we live in a, li in a world where there's a lot of, uh, yeah, as you said, like the technology is kind of numbing our brain. We lose the connection to our inner self. We don't hear anymore what's inside and what actually the universe tries to tell us and why we're here. And I think ah, you will love this book. <laughs> this is <laughs> As you're saying this, I'm like nodding. I'm like, yeah, I think this will be on my altar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Like exactly what I need to hear. And I love the idea of like ideas being like an infinite well mm -hmm. and that it it's like in communion, I think, kind yeah. of with like yourself and like the universe. And it, I, I do find it magical. Like when I Absolutely. when I get kind of like jaded about aspects of the world, it's really important for me to just remember like I have plants here, which I find very magical, right? I find like the act of writing a book very magical. So I have huge bookshelves with different like people that I'm inspired by. Yeah. Uh, color can be very beautiful and different patterns. I have like lots of art images. But yeah, I think it's really important to have those kind of like um, all that inspiration around you and remind yourself that there's like so much beauty to be had and like when I get an idea, which I have a lot of them, I have mm -hmm. an Evernote that I keep. And so, um, yeah, I, I write down like several pieces of inspiration every day. Wow. Of like, oh, this would be an interesting story or this would be an interesting story or combine this and this and this. Yeah. And so I have thousands of notes in Evernote. Um, but I like even just the moment of having an idea and writing it down, like that is just so energizing, even if I never do Absolutely. anything with it, where I'm like, oh, yeah, you could combine this show with this show with this thing. And, oh, isn't this like or like then you go down like um, this is the beautiful part of the Internet from all my complaining about it. Uh, when you go down those like kind of weird wiki holes and you learn something yeah, that you never yes. knew existed. Um, like uh, I really like Atlas Obscura. I don't know if you are like um, that has a lot of like really interesting stuff of okay. kind of uh, random pieces of history across the world. Uh, yeah. The open culture is really good for that kind of stuff. They have a lot of like interesting culture pieces uh, and rereading or like reading again, Koki, Koki, Koki. Um, uh, 
which was like one of the very early vloggers in okay. the U.S. And so he like has tons of stuff that he's always coming up with. And so, you know, finding those little places that are kind of like treasure troves. Of, wow. Uh, inspiration is helpful. But yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's what ends up giving kind of my world light, I think, yeah. is that creative process. So then, you know, one of your recent creations where, you know, ideas, some, the universe talked to you and you created it was uh, the book you published last year. Yeah, <laughs> yes. thank you for reading it. It was also. amazing. Re yeah, yeah, exactly. Remote works, managing freedom, flexibility and focus. Yeah. Um, it was it really, it was last year that we got out, right? Yeah, so I um, February 7th, 2023 was wow. the release date. Yes. So that's like <laughs> imprinted in my brain. So yeah. do you still remember? So what... Do you still remember the process? I mean, like, of course, through, with your career, there was a lot of remote work on your remote uh, working remotely. But what in like, do you remember the first whisper that the universe told you? Yeah. Oh, you should write about this. And why you thought like, oh, I have to, I have to write about this. Yeah. So I guess maybe there's a couple different whispers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the first whisper was, this was like a problem I had always been trying to solve with work of wanting to both be kind of like, have a career and be a professional but i also wanted to like see the world and travel and have all these different experiences right and so i i was always trying to like combine both of those in certain ways and so um usually i would actually like relocate and so in my first job i was a management consultant and i would only take projects that were international right and so i was based in el salvador i was based in switzerland um, I took a leave of absence and I went to Mongolia wow. and so I was always, always trying to carve with that job, yeah. like interesting places to be. Right. Um, and then, uh, when I joined Google, uh, after about a year and a half, I ended up transferring to the Singapore office. Mm -hmm. And so I was there for four years and didn't like a regional role where I could go to India and Japan and all these different things. Right. And so I was always trying to craft both of those, but I wanted even more freedom, honestly. <laughs> like it felt like even with that, they were like, you still need to be in the office at certain days. Um, you have to have everything approved for travel. Like you can't be traveling unless it's for a work assignment. Mm -hmm. There was still actually like quite a bit of rules around those, even though it felt like I had a lot of kind of liberties and so I, I was in Peru, actually, <laughs> um, but I was in Peru. I had moved back to the U.S. Yeah. Um, I was having a lot of reverse culture shock after living in Asia <laughs> for four years, uh, which like is a real, real thing. Like, I know that that sounds like very, I don't know. No, no, of, I think it's, I totally get it. But I, I remember just being like, whoa, <laughs> <So> like, I, <laughs> I, like, I went back exactly to the life I had. Right. And this is actually like very similar to the hero's journey. I think of you always within the story, you end at the same place that you started, but you wow. become a changed person. And yes. so even like that arc is used even in like cat in the hat with Dr. Seuss, where <laughs> it starts in the house, the cat comes, there's a lot of mischief and the kids are in the same place at the end, but they've had this whole adventure with, you know, cat in the hat and yeah. one twenty or whatever um so i was like back in the exact same place i was before right i was even in the same building in mountain view uh i was wow. living in san francisco and i just felt like i no longer fit mm -hmm. uh, and like 
subtly, even though I think this goes back to the concept that even if somebody's dwelling in the same place or they have had the same job, there, there can still be a lot of changes that have happened. Mm-hmm. And so I noticed that even kind of with my friends that were there, we were still in kind of like different life paths, mm-hmm. even though it, and it subtly comes out. <laughs> um, and, you know, I still love my friends, but I also felt that, yeah, that I just no longer fit. And yeah. people, other people did. <laughs> like it was very clear that they did yeah. and they're still there. <laughs> and I just like felt like it, it wasn't really working for me. And so I was in Peru and I was, you know, when you're in this whole like, when you hold two things quite closely and you're like, yeah. oh, but I I need to be a responsible, hardworking person, right? And so, you know, there's that is something that I, you know, was raised and that I, as a value, <laughs> and I think it is an important value, but almost it was like oversized in my mind mm-hmm. of like the most important value, right? And so I was in Peru and saying, like, I don't really like what I'm doing or where I'm living. And and but I was like, but it's a really, you know, it's a good job. And like San Francisco's a good place. Like it it was something where I was dissatisfied with something that I knew was like good. Mm-hmm. And that can be like a really weird thing where it can I mean, obviously there's a lot of privilege, I guess, that comes with that. And there's a bit of guilt, um, you know. I, I know this feeling. But, but yeah, there's a lot of kind of guilt of not being happy with something that you feel like you should be happy with. Exactly. And you feel like Uh, there's something wrong about you, actually. uh Uh-huh. Like, then you start, like, another gratitude practice, or you try (laughs) to, like, if I just had the right, I don't know, uh, project at work, or if I just had the right manager at work, or if I just found, like, this right thing in the city, then, like, everything would be fine. But actually, like, what I noticed is I kept trying to change little things in the periphery to Mm -hmm. try and make myself happier when actually I probably needed a much bigger shift. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I, think, and I, I had been doing that. I mean, obviously I think this is coming late, but the, I think my big shift is what's happening now, honestly. Yeah. And um, you can't always make the biggest shift immediately. You almost have to try other mm-hmm. paths mm-hmm. of like incremental change or changing your location or what are all these different things that you can work with until you realize actually like maybe a lot bigger than, than you think it is zip code. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's actually like i need to do something completely fundamentally different uh but i was in peru and i remember like being at a bar and talking to somebody and he had been traveling for like five years and he had left silicon valley as well and we were like chatting and he just gave me a lot of kind of that maybe confidence creative confidence yeah. i don't know courage and he was just like, you can try something and just see how it goes. And if it doesn't, you'll you'll probably have a capacity to go back to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be hard to believe, I think, in a world where there's, you know, there's layoffs and you feel like there's can be this like weird scarcity mentality. And so um, it's much easier to give that advice, I think, sometimes than to take it yourself. Yeah. Because I know I give that advice to people all the time because I, I objectively <laughs> I can be like, no, you have a great CV. Like, it'll be great. You could do whatever. Like, da, da, da. Like, go do all these things. But when it comes to, like, that advice for myself, I don't have that same self-belief. Yeah, I, wow. I imagine the worst scenario. Like, mm-hmm. what could be the very worst thing that could happen? This could be disastrous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I kept reflecting on that. And so, I mean, I guess that's that was that's where remote work comes in, as I'm telling this kind of, 
um, exaggerated. As you can tell, I'm a nonlinear thinker. Amazing. <laughs> it's perfect for this podcast. Like <laughs> and it is interesting, like as I've been going in this path of being a nonlinear thinker and having to get more comfortable with, uh, even like on a podcast where I don't like, um, even the way I think requires just a lot of like pauses and gaps and going in different directions. And I'm trying to like allow that to be versus Absolutely. try to like, uh, perfect my speaking capacity. So anyways, we're going to keep going with this. Um, <laughs> oh, it's perfect. Keep but going. I was like, I, I was like, you know, one thing I could do is try to get a remote job. And yeah. so I was like, that'll be like the next step. Right. And so when I went back uh, to the US. I had heard we had been working some with Automatic, which is WordPress. Um, mm -hmm. And people used to call them the hippies of the web <laughs> when my Google team was working with them. And I was like, oh, that sounds like something the I was of the web. In. I, was thinking, <laughs> like, I, I think they were saying it kind of like, um, yeah, I don't, I, it was, I think they like didn't really get what they were doing. They're like, yeah, they're all like, <laughs> You know, like it, it, it's like this open source thing and they have all these meetups and like it's it's different <laughs> and like they didn't like understand like what it would be like to not operate exactly like a, you know, a big tech company. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And so I applied uh, and then I applied again and then, um, yeah, they caught my CV and I interviewed and then I joined. Um, and that I did feel like remote work at that moment really shifted. Wow. When, when was it? What, around the, what time? Uh, 2000, I applied in 2000, end of 2016. I joined 2016. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I, it just, I could just feel for a company like Google that does have a lot of flexibility right and so you have cool offices and you can like eat in different cafeterias and we already were doing a lot of video conference calls mm -hmm. and that felt like a huge step when i joined google after being in private equity right yeah. and so i was like whoa this is awesome <laughs> this is so much better <laughs> um and then you know you get used to it and then you're like oh i want more freedom and so i just remember like asking multiple times when i was like signing my contract i was like so i really like I really can travel and work at the same time. Like, wow. is that really something yeah, yeah, you would yeah. allow me to do? Like, I couldn't believe that that would be actually possible. Mm -hmm. I thought I would end up getting in trouble by somebody at HR eventually, or there would be like some kind of like trick. Yeah. Um. You know what I mean? Like, like. Know. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, after I signed the contract, they'd be like, "Actually, no." <laughs> uh, but it was like true, and so I think in like March or April. I had already been doing kind of my like work from different cafes in San Francisco. And I was like, oh, this is so, so nice. <laughs> I did not yeah, have to yeah. like, get on a bus. And I was commuting like three hours total back and forth, if not four, sometimes in traffic. And I get very car sick. I was just like, whoa. Like my even just not being sick every day was <laughs> like great, <laughs> right? Um, and so, and then you don't have to... Like going into the office some is really can be like a really enjoyable, fun experience. But I think the idea of needing to be on five days a week, always like on, especially as somebody that is introverted, it 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 really uh I don't think I realized this at the time because you're you're always being kind of yep. needing to be in places, right? Uh but when I was finally allowed to be like more by myself. I was like, wow, this actually reduces a lot of stress that I have Amazing, on a huh? daily basis of just 
having to like be presentable all the time and like sometimes I just want like nobody to talk and me just to be able to like look at do some work and like just think about things and like do things on my own schedule um and not always be worried about kind of like uh external stimuli and so that felt really lovely and then wow. I was started traveling and that felt really lovely yeah yeah and so um I started in Portugal and then I went to Spain and you know throughout the three years I was doing that I was in South Africa and the country of Georgia mm -hmm. and in Mexico City and I would like tie things in I was in Belgrade for a while I would tie things in with like different WordPress events but it did feel like I got to be light again yeah. and so light in the way of um I sold everything I owned and so I just had one carry-on bag Amazing, um, yeah. and so I got to like uh be like an extreme minimalist I like had seven outfits if you wear black all the time like nobody really notices which is like <laughs> an interesting thing uh but it just allowed me to experiment with a different way of being uh and it also I was by myself a lot uh which is something that maybe is not talked about as much. You see a lot of pictures of digital nomads and some people are out all the time. And I did have like my digital nomad friends and I had, you know, fun nights out and all of that. But there were a lot more moments where um, it, it requires you to have to be with yourself, which I think Absolutely. is like one of the more important skills mm -hmm. to learn mm -hmm. uh, is how, how can you make yourself your friend? Mm -hmm. uh, and the, I think that's actually probably what I learned the most during that. And now I'm now I like am very protective of my personal time where I like because I, I find my this is going to sound really stupid, but I find my own self very enjoyable. <laughs> but that's that so healthy. I, like I became such a good friend with myself. Sure. <laughs> like I went to like such an extreme that like now sometimes when people are like, hey, do you want to go do something? I'm like, oh, maybe in two days uh, we can do something because I like. I almost feel like I need to have this like cocoon of just time around me to like think and have these ideas. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And, um, get to explore this world. And so that was the biggest change. But I, would, I wouldn't say that comes easily though. No, you no, know, no. I, like, I'm talking about this in like kind of a, like a silly way, but there were definitely a lot of hard times <laughs> while I was a digital nomad, right? And so I wouldn't say that was always like the, the most beautiful moments in my psyche, but I can tell that it was worthwhile in the long run. And it, I did really love getting to work remotely for those three years. It felt so liberating. And so yeah. I guess that goes to my second moment with the book uh, is just that I all of a sudden, like, so I was at IDEO and I was like, oh, it'll be cool. I'll be in person, but this is cool environment. And what I did notice is I did have a reverse culture shock again of being like, whoa, it's hard to be in the office all the time, mm -hmm. even in a creative place, if you have become used to having that freedom and flexibility, yeah. right? And so yeah. I was already starting to crave, like, wow, this is a lot of time I'm being on with all these people, especially after having a lot of solo time, right? Mm -hmm. And just being back into American culture. At that point, I had like a weird accent that I had like picked up. It was like <laughs> slightly... Your Central European oh, really? English as a second language kind of thing. It, I don't know even how to describe it because it's not really British, but it was like it was as if I a German it. person were yeah, British amazing. or something. <laughs> that makes sense. It was just like kind of this weird. <laughs> 
And I just like, I just felt like, again, I was like, wow, um, I really like this design process. I'm excited about this creativity. I'm really enjoying aspects of this work. But I was feeling very overwhelmed, yeah. like sensory overwhelmed mm -hmm. of like jumping right into that. So I was, a, <laughs> I was obviously like the pandemic was very sad. So I'm not pretending that that does not exist. And it did for my like personal sanity help a lot to mm -hmm. actually like have that excuse mm -hmm. to be a remote worker again. And so I think, you know, both of those can be true. Like, I think the pandemic is a tragic, you know, tra tragedy. Yeah, a travesty. yeah absolutely. Both of those, <laughs> trying to combine those words at once, uh, can be very sad and very scary. And I had all of those feelings as well. And it was really nice for me to have a pause from the world at that moment. And so it, it felt nice to be able to get to like turn off and yeah. I almost felt like I, I was like a monk in a cave almost in my apartment. <laughs> Did a lot of meditation classes online, and um, I just I was surprised that people weren't really using remote work in interesting ways. And yeah. so I think that is like my big surprise is somebody that had like wanted so badly to be a remote worker, and there were only so many companies at the time that did, and being like I have to get into automatic. And I applied to a couple other ones, but as somebody that wasn't an engineer, it, there's not that many roles for people that are not technical at remote companies at that time because okay, they were yeah. much smaller. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, these are there's only so many things I could even do with these companies, right? And wanting it so bad and feeling like it was so liberating, I just didn't understand why nobody else was like excited <laughs> about it, and everybody was like complaining and. Um, People were on Zoom for one million hours. Yeah, and people were yeah. like, how did you ever do this remote thing? They were just like, this is awful. And I was like, okay, well, um, it, I mean, obviously like remote in like a pandemic is going to be very different than remote outside of a pandemic. Yeah. But even those like behaviors of this like initial huge prototype, the you know, people that were remote workers were before were like trying to get other people to be remote workers. And it was always kind of said like, we can't do that. Yeah. Um, and that happened a lot with automatic that was also kind of um, a representative of like remote working in general. And so a lot of times I would be talking to like different um, product partners and stuff like that. And we would be having these discussions that, like we could never do that, but you can, but we would never, yeah. ever, ever Crazy, do huh? that. There was just like a lot of uh, negativity. And actually Matt, who is the CEO of automatic, he wrote the forward and he was kind of mentioning that of how many times people were like, no way like they didn't believe he had a real company that they couldn't believe what they were doing it was so far-fetched like you we could never operate that way and then he said the same ceos you know like you know two months in the into the pandemic remote working they're like we're just as good as before dot 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 and it's it's not obviously by that you know it's not real because like two months into a pandemic you also can't be the best remote workers no. like there's no, no, no. that's not possible to change your whole culture in that time um, but it also means like before the idea that you never could was actually like probably not true either uh and i just you know i was talking to my friend Allie, who i co-wrote this book with and so we had met in cape town she was at duck duck go and we were just like oh people are missing out on this opportunity there's so <laughs> yeah. much freedom and flexibility if it's done right you can really yeah. do so many of your hours that you spend at work you get this like location freedom. You don't have to commute all the time. It's easier for like family life and friend life. And I was just like, it's, 
if people leave this only knowing about Zoom and how to stay on Zoom for 10 hours a day, then that's like a huge fail. And so that's wow. where the idea came from. We were just like chatting about it and complaining. Uh, but as somebody, I go quickly from complaining to trying to be in action mode. And so within that same conversation, I was like, Allie, let's just write a book. And luckily she <laughs> said yes to me, but that like books are really long processes. So mm -hmm. it's like, it's like something very easy to say yes to. Um, but you know, it took like another two years before it was out in the market, but that was kind of the initial thought of that is we just wanted to get some of our opinions out there and help people navigate remote work and hopefully make it a little bit easier and uh yeah allow people to have more freedom and flexibility at work yeah. i think that's so incredibly important and so whenever people tell me stories of being like oh yeah this actually really helped or we've been working with this on our team or we highlighted this i was um actually just home in dallas and my uncle and aunt they're they're going to be remote workers now. Like Amazing. they were remote yeah. workers. Sorry, they're going to be digital nomads. They're yeah. like selling their house. Wow, and they're, yeah. They're going, yeah. And so I think they're in their late fifties, maybe almost sixty. Go them. Yes. Girl their, I was a flower girl in their wedding as a kid, and yeah, it was just like really fun to hear that because there's also this idea that digital nomadism is just for the young, mm. and uh, I even felt like kind of old on the trail in my thirties. So there was something really exciting when my aunt and uncle were like, yeah, we're going to do this whole thing and Bill's going to work at night and we're we're going to go to, they were talking about like East Eastern Europe, Europe. And then they're like, oh, then uh, my family's like Norwegian and Swedish. They're going to like track down, you know, people of our ancestors and they have this whole like idea of where they're going to go. And I was like, that is very cool. Wow. That is very exciting. Wow. And I just, I hope for, yeah, I just hope more people feel inspired to do that kind mm -hmm. of stuff because that. That I think is the power from a work is actually to make work not the center point of your entire life. Absolutely. Um, which maybe is why like CEOs aren't as into it is because that that is there is um, a little bit of a Trojan horse like remote work is almost the way to like unock some of the chains that corporations have over. Yeah, and also like it, it kind of like body, but also yeah. your mind, your life, mm -hmm. your friends. Like I just noticed that. In some ways, I chose this too. When I was at Google or when I was in consulting, I wanted to be almost like consumed with work and friends at work and all these things at work. Because uh, I thought like, oh, yeah, like I'm a professional in my 20s and I saw TV shows about <laughs> people doing work, <laughs> right? And I have colleagues and friends and there's politics and promotions. But after like enough of that, I was like, yeah, I'll save it for the TV show. Exactly. That's exhausting. It's not as fun as watching it. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow. Like this is actually like, <laughs> it's like too much. It's like it's Absolutely. everywhere. When, like you're, all your friends work for the same company. You're always at the company. You're always talking about the company. All your travels through the company. Oh, yeah. You're all against each other. It just becomes so insular. That you're like, wow, this this is quickly turned against me. It once was really easy to go to work and have all your friends there. And you're like, oh, this is so easy. I'm combining everyone. It's like two birds, one stone. And then you're like, oh, it's two birds, one stone. stone. <laughs> Damn it. But also this yeah. is the thing is like, you know, like once you realize that actually, yeah, what well, the danger of like having friends at your work once the work is gone anymore, like how deep is the friendship afterwards? I think it's always like it happens quite often when people leave the company and they're like, you know, this connection, some stay and but most just disappear and um 
I love I love Egypt because there's so much resonance. Like, you know, like especially when I think back of my time as remote worker, what I really enjoyed is for me it's like a, this concept of um distinguishing work and holiday. Because like once once actually it becomes like this integration of both travel and work. And then I never felt like I never had this feeling, oh, I need to plan my holiday because like I'm 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 integrating it already. I don't have to kind of like book six weeks where I'm traveling somewhere. I'm traveling and working and then you have like this, there's no need, there's not this this exhaustion that oh, I'm waiting for my holiday next year because you're doing it already. And I think that's the key message also in, in your book and that's that actually to do remotely work, it doesn't mean, like actually if you just, for many compi- companies, I think the misunderstood is that people just like are in the same city at home <laughs> and working remotely. And I think that's actually even actually worse because like actually just yeah, being, being, true. <laughs> being just like, being, people, like just from like a creativity standpoint <sighs> like find one friend work with them at their house at a kitchen table once or twice a week like there's so many like even just small interventions to yeah. like so like <laughs> i just um i had some cousins that were telling me they're like yeah it's really lonely doing the remote work thing you know i just you know i just graduated and i'm in my house my apartment all day and I was like, just just find one friend, just find a friend, exactly. any <laughs> friend, anybody, go anywhere outside, um, unless you love your place and you like Absolutely. love having your like little work cave. But yeah, like I thought always the value of it. I used to work in museums all the time, wow. or little library, yeah, yeah. or something so nice about like seeing some art and then doing some work or being at like a cafe, and you know, you get this kind of feeling that you're not working because you're like seeing everybody and you're out and like exactly and it's like integrated you know yeah like work yourself i remember being like yes i may be answering emails but it feels like i'm not because i'm in a totally different location yeah and or just like working at different times and feeling like there's actually an incentive to do things quickly um yeah but you don't have like even if you're not somebody that likes to travel you can even just travel around your city you can see like just co-working spaces for example nowadays have been amazing like it's such a cool place to where you're not alone you're just other people and i found i found it's even it was easier to make friends with them because we don't work together so we have to find different interests that bind us and i i I love it and i think there's one one thing i actually i love this quote i I prepared it (laughs) from your book Thank you. This is from the book. This is from the book. Yeah. <laughs> it means it's by me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, remote simply adds a magnifying glass to any broken processes, cultural gaps, or miscommunications that already existed in your team. Now you have an opportunity not just to fix it, but to make it even better. And I think um, this was, wow, it hit the nail on the spot because it reminded me of my previous company was also 100% remote but what they didn't understand and many others don't understand actually remote works remote work does yeah it highlights actually that what is our culture what what is really our culture and actually it actually invites you to even like create like think about your culture because if you don't have the office anymore and so often I think companies they get lazy. Oh, we have an office, we have nice things, that's our culture. But culture is so much more. Culture is like how we do things, how we think, how we say. And remote work just highlights what is your culture? 
And I think many companies are like, oh, damn it, it actually gets scary. And actually, remote work takes extra effort to create a good culture. And good culture takes a lot of work. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes to all of that. Yes to the quote and yes to your commentary on it. Culture is so much more than your office, right? And I think that's some of the disappointment mm -hmm. is that what I, some of the negativity that I think gets projected on remote work is because you can't really see it in yourself yep. or like the shadows of like what is existing. I, I love like Jungian psychology and like you're, you're kind of faced with, oh, wow, without the office, what are we? Without that happy hour, what are we? Um, what it also like from an individual perspective, like what is my job without the kind of commotion yeah. of the office? Like, what is this work that I'm doing? It can cause a lot of existential crises of like, whoa, without, you know, all the bells and whistles. Wow. Who, who are we as a company? <laughs> and also like, because like a culture in the end is just a reflection of the founders. So it's like, mm -hmm. wait, who, mm -hmm. who are we? It's like, you know, like it's. <sighs> You know, it's like, yeah, it's, I love actually, by the way, that you quoted uh, Young of this, something I want, I will, yeah, I'll bring into this. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'm taking actually this um, spring, one of my classes at uh, the Divinity School is uh, Carl Young and Esoteric Religions. Wow. So I'm very excited about that. But yeah, I'm a huge Young fan. Yeah. Because like, okay, now I'm like, gonna, I need to say it because Great. like this one, I'm going <laughs> to send you the, the talk later. So it's from... There was a presentation by Carl Jung and he talked about your once inner shadow, dark and light. And Alan Watts actually commentated it. Oh, I love Alan Watts. Are you an Alan Watts fan? Absolutely. I would, like, if you said no, I'd be like, really? I've totally misjudged no, no, you. No, 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 I, no, no absolutely. I went to, for one of my birthdays, maybe 31st or 32nd, I went to Esalen and stayed in Alan Watts's cabin wow. just as like a pilgrimage to him. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like very, I like listened to all of his stuff and like he has such a lovely voice because he was on radio, I think through Berkeley. Yeah. And so like just hearing his talks, I was like, absolutely. Oh. You're I mean, great. he has yeah, been he 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 was um, a guest he was a guest on this podcast many many times. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're best friends with Alan Watson. <laughs> it's like just like okay, now we're gonna watch listen to this YouTube video. Listen to this. <laughs> and this was an amazing presentation by Carl Jung, and where he talked about like um, our own inner darkness and shadows, and actually that we all have this you know balance of light and darkness. And that I think there was a controversy because Carl Jung uh, said that, you know, people like, um, I don't know, like Stalin or like Adolf Hitler, like it's very like people who did horrible things in, in this world. Why these people kind of like, what happens is that they are not aware of the inner darkness and then mm. they project it to the outer world. And, uh -huh. and I think, and then now we don't, I want to like compare this now, like these people to some companies' cultures, but I think something similar can happen when remote work happens and then suddenly all these also negative things may, might pop, bubble up. And if you're not aware of it, you might project it, blame other things like remote work. And mm -hmm. it's the same narrative. It's like, if, are you aware of like this the inner darkness of oneself or a culture or a company? Yeah. Yes, 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 100%. Um, there's a talk that Carl Jung has that I put in one of my presentations for last semester. And he talks about like thinking that we're kind of on like, kind of like hanging on a thread, I think is the way that he phrased it. Um, 
but he was very worried about like the end of civilization. Mm -hmm. He thought it all came down to people's psyches. Like if you are not aware of your shadow, yeah, like that's like the primary, he was like, if there's anything that you can do in the world for good, like having more insight that we contain light and dark is really important. We all do. I I think you see that a lot in politics as well of just like projecting like they're bad, like who's bad and who's good. And by projecting bad on all kinds of other people, it allows you to preserve this idea that you are good. Exactly. Um, but actually what you're projecting is bad. It's actually a reflection of your inner yeah, self. Yeah, it's like, but like, where, what is that telling you, right? Yeah. Like, where is that, like, what is that coming from? Uh, what are you scared of, of seeing in yourself? Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's really important. I noticed this too, in like a culture that can be like very quick to judge and like moralizing and all these different things. Like, how can we give people more grace that they're, mm -hmm. they contain a multitude? um that the idea of simply like there are good people and bad people is like just not really true yeah and um like allowing more grace of um the complicated nature of being human uh and also the i think one thing i think about a lot is i read somewhere that we've all experienced all the emotions of the world but we just act out on it differently mm -hmm. and so how can we have like empathy of Yes, I have felt great joy and I've also felt hate like that, like it's, you know, like all of that has existed inside of me. And, you know, my job is to both be like aware and to reflect yep. and to hold it and to not act on it. Exactly. But it also, I think, can give you um, a lot more empathy for others as well to know that you also have experienced those different types of feelings and like where they come from. And it's mm -hmm. usually like a raw place of like hurt and pain um but yeah i i find that really important of like holding yeah, paradox and um things that may seem like they don't go together and mm -hmm. non-duality and all that kind of stuff uh and i wish there was more of that and it requires again like a whole shift in thinking absolutely and shift, like it requires also like um i think you mentioned this earlier about even just like the culture of like technology it requires like not only it has to be an active choice because you're you're being asked all the time to get into a binary um like of good and yep. bad of this is right and this is wrong this is like this is the way to do it this is not the way to do it this is like the side that i'm on like you're just asked all the time to like put things in simple uh cohorts mm -hmm. and uh not allowing the idea of saying like i don't know or there's a lot of gray area or I changed my mind, like those, those things feel like they're not um, as acceptable. Yeah, and I think, um, wow, also like this one, yeah, just, uh, there's another aspect to like this, why we have this, I think like this inner shadows and negativity, or I wouldn't say negativity, like darkness, it actually, once you realize it, you know, like as we need both, and this darkness actually helps us to, find inspiration to create light it's it's actually such an it's such a crazy idea to think a concept think about it but now back to our first topic about technology like it started off and now we see like this yeah the darkness of this usage social media but what is what does it do it had actually helps us to find inspiration like okay how how can we create light how can we bring the balance mm. back and it's actually so that's why actually we can't even say it's bad or good we need it 
You know, we need this yeah. this process of like, oh, okay, it's going now in a really not so good direction. How do we make a win-win again out of this? And if this didn't if this didn't happen, we wouldn't think about it. Yeah. Also, like as somebody that also likes young, I sometimes think the internet is like a reflection of our um, <laughs> collective unconscious. Yeah. Like it, 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 it's the same thing of like almost like how remote work is a magnifying glass. Like technology is also a magnifying glass. <laughs> Absolutely. Like the stuff that is created and like what, like the algorithms, like it's very easy to blame like big bad tech company. But realistically, like who's using it? Who's using like, exactly. Like <laughs> the algorithms are like just, they're based on like humans, yes, right? Exactly. They're like humans built the algorithm, but the algorithms are based on the choices that humans make yep. and to optimize whatever people are like deciding. So if I'm watching, weird influencer videos on youtube that have, like <laughs> that draw me in for whatever reason like that that's that says a lot more about me <laughs> not about youtube um though i would like the one thing i do i do find um i was talking to a friend about this and it i don't know i was in kind of like a weird mood but um <laughs> i do think that the internet like i sometimes get really i guess maybe this is like the utopian vision but i sometimes get a little sad about Again, I guess I, I also work for the biggest ad company, right? But you, I don't know if you feel this way. Do you ever like go on the internet and you feel like you can't go anywhere without like an eyesore of just like display ads everywhere? Like I feel like I can't read anything anywhere oh. without just one million pop-ups. It's just like boom, boom, pop-up, video, scroll, something. Like there's so much commotion and I'm like, oh my gosh. Like Wow, did you mention this? Yes. It's so and yeah, it's so true. Like and the other day, I was like, "How do we make the internet so ugly yeah?" You so just quickly? you just scroll through, and it's like, oh, uh, <laughs> you just want to read actually the, the the article, and it's yeah, like, yeah, the text. And it's just like I can't even. <laughs> exactly. And then like now there's like a gate on all kind of news as exactly, well. Exactly, like. It, but it still takes you there, so you read just like one paragraph, and then it says you need to subscribe, and I'm like. I think it like actually reminds me some of like the landscape in a lot of the US where there's like just strip malls and highways everywhere. And so <laughs> I was just back in Texas. Texas is great in a lot of ways. It gets a lot of flack. But I, I love I love like, Austin, by the way. I love it. Great. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that there is some like aesthetic issues with like a like if you go down <laughs> a highway in Dallas, it's just like huge strip malls and just billboards everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's just like lots of color trying to attract you to go to this food store or this like some store yeah, it's just like yeah. advertisements all along the road and it's just like all concrete and it reminds me of a lot of the internet where it's just like all ads and you like you're always <laughs> yeah. distracted and you're like I actually just want to get somewhere but like texas is so spread apart that it's like i have to be on the highway to, the next like, okay <laughs> and it's the same thing if i want to read anything on the internet that's not wikipedia like it, like it's gonna, it's gonna pop up and show me a lot of random stuff the whole time. Uh, so I mean, I do <laughs> yes, feel like, and it. It, you know, like, um, I mean, I worked for the place that does a lot of those yeah. display ads. So there is something where, yeah, I'm like, huh, how interesting you know, what we did with all of that. And you know, <laughs> now, now again, like, it's actually now we see this, and I guess in the next years, you know, someone will get inspired by this. Okay, how do we? Yeah create something in the other end again i think it's a beautiful process actually if we see it that way but i get it like just i thought it like the last weeks is like there was like so many websites just want to read something <laughs> just try to scroll and find the article and then sometimes the article is like 
very short and a lot of advertisements. <laughs> yeah, it's just like SEO. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I do think you're right. Like there's this balance because um, even when I was at Automatic, I um, worked with Matt on the acquisition of Tumblr. And so even I like go on Tumblr a lot now because it doesn't have ads actually yeah, amazing, like, yeah? it, well it has like small ads but like it it in general it feels like you can get a lot of like different content yeah really like interesting content a lot of beautiful photos a lot of stuff that is not influencer led <laughs> and it feels a little like old internet and i know that there's a lot of nostalgia for that but we'll see what builds in the future but i do think like chat gpt and all of that is going to uh Yep. change the landscape I for think sure. I'm excited, yeah. you know. It's, I'm excited too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tamara, I know you have a hard, hard deadline. Um, we're coming to an end. I think it was, I, I loved our conversation. It went, you know, exactly as imagined, our first conversation last year. There's like, we start somewhere, it goes left and right. It's a beautiful process of nonlinear thinking. Young. Exactly. Everything, we, we ended up. We ended up with... goes back to Carl Young. For, like, any conver- like every single class is cool too. Like we, like each person has their own little thing. My friend Maddie, she's always like, it ends with Octavia Butler. She's always talking about sci-fi by Octavia Butler. And everything I always say, it's like, and Carl Young. <laughs> Carl Young. So we ended up. And your shadow. <laughs> and your projection. <laughs> I love it. I find it so cool that we ended there. Um, where can people buy your book? Where can people read more about you? Yeah. Um, and so I, I am active on the LinkedIn, so you can mm-hmm. find me, Tamara Sanderson, and you can see I have like a banner that has the book. The book is available. Um, I mean, definitely on Amazon, but you can buy it through our, uh, publisher, Barrett Kohler. It's at different indie bookstores. It's through Barnes and Nobles. We had a big display there this summer at, uh, on the fifth fifth avenue in manhattan so yeah it's available all kinds of places you can get on kindle audio in physical copy which is kind of my favorite at the moment but yeah and it's very action oriented we interviewed over 30 different people that are remote workers so it's not just our opinions and it's really just how to get your remote work life to work better so that you can have more freedom flexibility and focus amazing is there carl young in the book (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, <laughs> I don't know, but I did. <laughs> I included a Rumi poem, and I yep. I was oh, trying yes. to include another poem as well <laughs> by Roca, and I feel like Ali was like, "Tam, you can have one poem, <laughs> but like this is a business book, you can't have multiple poems." And she was like, "But maybe that was like an early indicator that I was going to go to divinity school because <laughs> like." I was just like, there's so many poems that are associated with remote work and like time and Seneca and da, da, da. <laughs> I she was like, she's like, ah, so yeah, it, it was definitely a collaboration between Allie and myself. <laughs> Allie's a lot more kind of uh, practical. And so there's a lot of practical aspects to it. And then once in a while, you'll get kind of a random poem for me. Uh, but I found it really fun just to interview people. And we just hope it's just helpful. Yeah, for me, I think it's just like, you know, I really enjoyed reading it. It's like really spoke to my soul because like it was, it it just talked about like what you can do. It's more like not just like remote work. It's a way of living in a sense as well. It's like so, so beautiful. And uh, yeah, so thank you, Tamara, for joining. Thank you for this beautiful conversation. And yeah, I will, yeah. Link, I will link the books in the show notes and where you can buy okay. them. All right. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.